We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This just in, Chelsea raging forward with their stadium renovation as they try to find a way to get the cars back on the pitch. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, if you don't know, uh, Stanford Bridge, they used to have cars parked on the pitch, you know? as you do when you are a tiny club, and uh, their renovation is now moving forward as they find a way to return the cars to the pitch as they shrink back into obscurity. I kid, but I don't kid. We are going to probably talk more Chelsea than maybe your um, usual taste for things here, Um, but it does feel appropriate given that there may have been no greater seismic shift in the power balance of the Premier League and the future of the Premier League than Roman Abramovich coming into English football. And his potential exit and seemingly imminent exit may be equally relevant, significant, maybe even more so. And and so I think we have to address that. I will tell you that after this chat with Paul and Clive, uh, there is a chat with Mike from the Gooners pod where he's going to dive into the Arsenal financial thing a little bit more. He uh, has a finance background and he's going to explain to us why we should care and what we should care about specifically while I interrupt with inane thoughts and bad questions. But he's also going to talk to you about the Gooners versus Cancer charity. So that is coming up. Um, there is, there's the Watford game, the small matter, the big matter of the Watford game too. So we will get into that a little bit as well. Um, but I, I just want to quickly bring something up that that is really, really difficult to talk about. Um, KP Nutt on Twitter, uh, Cavill, got in touch, a uh, friend of the pod, and mentioned that uh, unfortunately, his uh, daughter, his essentially newborn daughter, uh, passed away last week. And it, just a, a really devastating loss for him and his family, of course. And really, he, he got in touch just to say that they wanted to do something to raise money um, in in her honor. And they've already raised over 10,000 pounds. And you know that you know philanthropy and charitable giving is a big part of what we try to do here. We have our Arsenal Foundation fundraiser coming up. We're going to talk Gunners versus Cancer later. But I just wanted to reference Cavill's just Giving page, Isla's page. You can certainly go to justgiving.com and just look up Cavill um, if you want. You know, that would certainly be the way to do it. And uh, 
you know, and you can certainly give in the memory of Isla Patel who, who, uh, passed far, far too young. So certainly our, our thoughts go out to him and his family, our condolences. And, and if you'd like to support, look up Cavill on justgiving.com and, and you can certainly support that cause. So, uh, with that having been said, I will introduce Paul and Clive for the usual nonsense. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. And Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, I mean, we are a community, like first and foremost, right? We are a community. And whether we're helping support great causes like uh, Mike's Gunners versus Cancer charity or the Arsenal Foundation, obviously one that's near and dear to all of our hearts as Arsenal fans or individuals who are going through hardship, whatever it is, like if we can engage with our community in a way that creates positive change, like that is the single most powerful thing we can do. And I realize you're here to hear about Arsenal, but like if you spare us just a moment to do these things, you know, hopefully people appreciate how impactful we can all be together. And that's obviously important as we see crazy things happening around us in the world. So one of those crazy things is what's going on in Ukraine. <clears throat> we are not here to discuss that specifically, as I would suggest that we are not the best source of that information, but we are here to discuss a way that that has now uh, reached into the world of uh, Premier League football. Uh, Alisher Usmanov, certainly someone who is coming under fire and, and Everton may be facing serious challenges, not just with their position in the table, but with their ownership uh, issues. But we're probably going to focus on the larger one, which is Roman Abramovich and Clive. Look, no one changed the landscape of Premier League football like Roman did. His potential exit, I think, has the ability to reshape the landscape yet again. I, I'd love to start just with your sort of 30,000-foot view on what you think some of the possible scenarios are here for what happens with Chelsea, and then we can maybe dive into, more importantly, more specifically, how they relate to Arsenal. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's worth even looking back, starting by looking back, really, when when he arrived and, and I was putting £50 notes on our lawn. That was the quote, was it? Something like that. Hmm. And, um, and what did he actually do? And obviously, much like Arthur Wenger, he changed the face of, of English football in some way. Just when the... The financial world was getting some form of normalcy. He just changed the game completely and started throwing money around. And of course, we've we've been reacting ever since. And it has brought a level of inflation to the game that may, many of us didn't think would ever possible. You know, look at the TV deals, etc. Some people say that's good. Some people say oh, not so good. And all of a sudden, it feels to me like um, it's not so good anymore. It's not so. Uh, fashionable as such you know and i think it's really interesting how people's opinions can change very very quickly now i always was very much i'm not saying against this but i didn't like the financial doping within the game and even though the part of me wanted to compete with chelsea and where i can see all of the coaches and all of the the best young players Dropping, going down to Surrey private schools and, they, and they're getting the kudos of having wonderful academies and really all they do is make sure they look after parents. And that's all. And it just bothers me that the extra finances was almost not seen. And I remember one year I had a good look at their finances and just out of nowhere, just in the bottom line, just like 111 million given by the owner, just on a normal year, not for ground improvement, just for money given into the owner. And when you're competing with that, you can't. You know, you, you can't. And 1.5 billion over his period of time, that's extra money that we haven't had. And they've had 21 trophies of every single trophy in the game. 
And I and I've got to be honest with you, I'm an Arsenal man, and I, I I don't like it. Right, I don't like it. But not only that, while that's actually happening, we are then assessing our team based on if that money is not there almost. And we have some people have massively high expectations where we should be. And I just think the whole landscape and the whole the whole way of how we look at football and even look at Arsenal has been massively distorted. But suddenly this is out of um like I say, this is not so this is not the place to be now for Chelsea and they're trying to cleanse themselves of this very, very quickly, although I do find some of the statements with big holes in them. I'm sure we'll get to that as we go yeah. through. But yeah, I I, I don't think this is over, mate. You know, time moves very quickly and things change very quickly. Let's see how this plays out. That's my view. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do think he's going to sell. <clears throat> I think that's clear. I, I think he certainly put himself in a position where I don't know how he secures a good price to sell at, and I don't know that he even cares. Um, I want to address a couple things that Clive hit on there at the end. Paul, like, we have to talk about the ramifications for football, of course, but I think we should at least address some of the claims and statements he's making. like. You can pull the wool over people's eyes, um, but I think even the most naive of us recognize self-serving statements and self-serving moves when they happen. Like, the idea that this is an altruistic move is hard to swallow, if not impossible. And statements like, vague statements like, um, you know, I will uh, I will donate the net proceeds to victims of the war in Ukraine. I mean, obviously, victims of the war in Ukraine is an ambiguous statement that could mean a number of different groups of people and a number of different ethnicities of people and nationalities of people and net proceeds is obviously uh, ambiguous saying, Oh, I will not ask for the loans to be repaid. Well, as I understand it and I don't understand it at all. So let's be clear about that. Like if you confer a 1.5 billion pound benefit on a business, like for giving a loan that has tax implications, right? If you, if you don't ask for them to be repaid, what happens to them? Do they just go away? Are you able to make them just go? You know, again, these are things that are a little beyond my knowledge of finance. But again, there's a lot of altruistic seeming statements here that to me seem self-serving. I mean, the guy had a 300 million pound yacht seized in Germany. You know, I'm sure he worries about the potential of what could happen to his Chelsea holdings and maybe just wanting to get out of Dodge and not face further sanctions. So before we get into the footballing component of this real quick, Paul, do you have a sense of the yeah. the real ramifications and impact of some of his statements as a guy who obviously now is trying to make himself look a certain way to avoid I think further scrutiny by um, this the people imposing sanctions right now. Indeed. Well, I'm not sure if everybody is aware of this, but um, Roman Abramovich is an actual sports washer. So that is his profession. Well, and so, by the way, can I, can I stop you just real quick? And to show how effective sports watch, washing is, go to the mentions of people criticizing Abramovich or go to the mentions of people criticizing the Newcastle takeover or the city owners, and you will see an army of angry football supporters backing their guy. So it works, you know? Well, it's fascinating in a sense in that those are not the people that are getting sports washed. Those are the army of recruits that will back his corner at every moment. It's everybody else who's getting sports washed, where we're like, you see it in the ether. Oh, he seems like a good guy. Oh, they don't seem so bad, those folks from that uh, tyrannous country with their human rights violations. Oh, look. They're reaching out to us. Maybe if we reach back to them, we can all end up in this lovely... Meanwhile, they don't do a 
bloody thing they hadn't planned to do. In fact, quite the opposite. It gives them the rope and leeway to keep doing what they keep doing. Uh, You know, this guy was uh, largely responsible with his cronies uh, as an arm of the Russian state uh, for putting Putin in power. And it's well documented. So, yes, I'm sure in the last week or so he's turned into uh, Mother Teresa, who apparently wasn't all that nice, but I'm not going to get into that one oh, right God. now. Come on, Paul. Of all of, your, <laughs> of all of your counterculture takes, Shaq is actually great. The performance against Brentford was feckin' excellent. The Mother Teresa was kind of obnoxious. One is probably going to get you in the most hot water. Yeah, yeah. All right, Paul. Stay focused. Stay focused. Roman Abramovich. Yeah. Look, he's a sports washer. Um He's doing charitable con- uh, donations for whatever. He's he's going to take f- care of the folks at Chelsea, blah, blah, blah. Look, if he does anything nice in the whole Chelsea scenario, nice in air quotes, uh, more than he has to, it's because he doesn't want to screw up his sports washing with the last thing he does on the way out. Actually, I think the last thing he'll do on the way out is fire Thomas Tuchel, just for old time's sakes. <laughs> just to get you know, that one, adrenaline rush one last yeah, time. Yeah, one last time. Like, <laughs> that's what he's really in it for. Like, uh, please, anybody going around saying, yeah, yeah, he's a, a, let's not call them oligarchs. Let's call them what they are, kleptocrats. They're arms of their state who stole their nation's money, uh, their people's money, impoverished their country, and uh, kept us in this, area of chaos even before he gets to football and the way football like if he loves football so much he should have loved uh, viable competition and there's all of this what what about re- oh it's always been the case the clubs an owner will come in and spend a bit more than the other guys but like let's use our rational fa- uh, faculties here there's a degree there's a scale there's an asymmetry like if you have two guys boxing Hey, one of them's always a little bigger than the other. Yeah, but one of them isn't a super heavyweight and the other one's a fucking flyweight. That is not competition. What he did was cheating. It was financial doping. He's changed the landscape. Uh, He's proven how effective sports washing would be. And a whole bunch of other people come in on his coattails and are at risk of capsizing the sport. Fuck him and the horse he rode in on. Um, There's going to be, like, anybody who buys into the, oh, but he's nice about this and he's kind about, and look at those charitable donations to whatever, to the Jewish causes or blah, blah, blah. Um, Like, let's be honest, he's a washer of sports, of identities, of affinities. Yeah, and he'll, he'll need people to take care of him in the future now that he's on his horse and out of London. Before we pivot to the football, can I just say, I find it a bit rich having to listen to Clive talking on these matters when that man has just been caught in public trying to buy Hitler's car. Clive, do you want to answer for this? Um, I think that is somebody who has a similar name to me. Um, and, and that's my only comment I'm going to make at this but, point. But the time. name is Clive Palmer. So yeah, he has a, so a, a, very, a, very, a very similar name to me. <laughs> but we look we look very different is what I'm going to say. <laughs> Fair enough. He gets I, a I, couple I, of voiceovers and look at him. And, and suddenly he's collecting uh, Nazi memorabilia. Um, yeah, no, he, he is not doing that. Someone did that with Clive's name and that person should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, Clive, <laughs> 
from a footballing standpoint, so like here's the next question, right? What happens to Chelsea? And I think this is the the question that is of most interest to me um, from a footballing standpoint because let's say that the the types of people that want a sports wash, right, probably don't want to buy Chelsea. Because first of all, you don't get the credit, right? You come in behind a guy that's already viewed as sort of like a saint among Chelsea fans, amazingly, and a club that's had unprecedented success, literally unprecedented, and the best you can do is maintain it. You want a sports wash, you buy a Newcastle, right? A super energetic fan base that hasn't experienced success, and you can bring them success and create a loyal army of supporters who will back you all over the internet and so on and so forth, or you do it with Manchester City, or you do it with Chelsea at the time Abramovich did it with Chelsea. You don't buy a Chelsea that's at essentially the top, and they did just win the Champions League, and like just keep them there. So I think you're left with a a sort of business conglomerate, you know, a business entity, someone that probably owns sports franchises, maybe American, you know, maybe someone else, whatever it is, who sees this as a great addition to the portfolio looks at their turnover, looks at their profitability, sees that they're probably going to be getting a really nice discount off market pricing, although it's hard to market price sports clubs for reasons that we've covered in the past, and comes in and and does something with them. And I think, Clive, the good news is, let's say the best case scenario for Chelsea is a really sharp group of, of sports owners who know how to manage them efficiently. Then at, at the minimum, what that means is Chelsea have to be run the way Arsenal have had to be run, more or less. And we can compete with that. We can't compete with someone who brute forces their way to the top throwing money at it, like a City or a Chelsea have done. But we can compete with a club that's just being run according to sort of traditional business principles. So do you think that the outcome of this is ultimately that Chelsea at best, at best, become another one of these clubs with a good amount of revenue that have to compete based on their their turnover and their profitability? I think what he's done, maybe, and I did read something today, that they're going to look at the human rights records of some of the new owners coming in all of a sudden. I mean, wow. (laughs) So, you know. Premier League, right? Oh, unbelievable. When it they suits, found religion. What do you know? Uh, when it suits you, um, everyone's patting money under their mattress. It's okay, right? But when suddenly the light is shining and suddenly we're going to put rules in place. The reason why I said to you earlier, I don't think this is over. I don't think this is over. Any prospective buyer, why would you rush to give him a reported $4 billion? You know, why would you rush to do that? Because, you know, the pressure that's out there in the world, the world pressure is out there. May I'd sit on my hands and have a, get a cigar out and, and a nice whiskey and wait, and wait to see how this plays. Because the more time that passes, the more time, the more desperation is going to come on. Is going to come into into play, and the picture will become clearer. From an Arsenal perspective, we can all we can hope for is there's one less um, super funded club in the in the in the show, right, competing against us. When we were podcasting at the start of this year, we, I'm sure one of us would have mentioned the words, can you see us cracking the top four in the next three to five years? I mean, we're looking at a monster in Manchester United financially. Man City financially and intelligence-wise are way out there. Liverpool intelligence-wise are growing their brand. We were hoping that they would get old. You know, and and you got Chelsea who got a who's got an owner with a higher and fire regime, does not care about mistakes. They can buy a seventy million pound goalkeeper and just buy someone else at forty. Cheers, thanks a lot. Do you know what I mean it's not it's just not a problem for them? When I look back at all the players we missed out on and we were just outbid, outcompeted and 
and yet we have to play the big finals, you know, to watch Eden Hazard run through us in the in Baku, and you know, when potentially we could have had him in a different era without Abraham Rich, we would have had him out of France. And that's how your history and your life can change, right? So for me, I, I hold no love for them. Honestly, I'm not sure that's coming across. <laughs> I hold no love. I hold no love. I, I remember everything, every game, the, you know, the Fengus Thousands game. I remember it all. And it's it's been, you know, I think past been, United for you for second most hated behind Spurs. I think they might have for me. It's certainly close. No, no, no. For I me, mean, Spurs take they they right. They're one. No, well, Spurs are Spurs, right? So let's not get overexcited about them because we know who they are, right? So, so that's not an issue. Know your enemy, right? It's that's not a problem for me. That Chelsea is always the one for me. Always yeah. the one because they have usurped us in the hierarchy of the English game. You know, they, we were one, two, three. They came in, and we are four, five, six, eighth. Do you see what I mean? Because other people started to follow that model and started to uh, to sell to fund in a slightly different way. So Chelsea was the one that really shook us. And I've always wanted Arsenal to be more aggressive to compete. You know, to really compete. And there's a big group of Arsenal fans. You know, in the past, and I hope I wasn't one of them, but some, no doubt. I don't think I ever say anything like this because I, I try to focus on the football. And the reason why, because I don't think the landscape is level. But there's a group of Arsenal fans that want to enough on, on board. You know, and, and it's very tempting. I'm not going to say you were wrong. It's very tempting when you see Chelsea doing what they're doing. When they've won two Champions Leagues. You know, this is big stuff, right, to to a football fan. Just wants to see his team win the biggest trophies, right? So, so yeah, it's uh, I'm not a fan, mate. And I, all I can hope for, <laughs> oh, all I, all I can hope for is a reckoning of some sort, you know. And I generally, I generally don't care. I, I want a reckoning of some sort. In the end, focus on ourselves, right? Focus on what we're doing, and I'm really positive about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I thought this day would come to Chelsea a lot sooner than it did, if I'm honest with you. I thought it would be a big thing that happened and it would go much quicker and blow up. But it's blowing up now and not before time, in my opinion. Yeah, and and here's the thing, right, Paul? Like, I don't <clears> – I'm not – I would look, is it in the range of outcomes that they get a mediocre owner who doesn't want to spend much? And the fact that they have a smaller stadium, maybe they say, you know what, I'm not going to build that new stadium and we're not going to be able to. I think they have the eighth, the eighth or ninth most uh, ticket revenue and attendance in maybe not ticket revenue, but attendance in the league. Yeah, they're about in a good year, they'd be 50 million and us, Spurs and United are around the 100 million mark. Yeah. And so, I mean, so if they get an owner that, you know, that doesn't, doesn't want to maintain the loan army and doesn't want to rebuild the stadium and, you know, maybe wants to operate a little more within their means so they can't say, well, Kepa failed, let's buy, you know, another goalkeeper at world record prices. Like, I I do think it's tough. Oh, you know, Werner didn't work out. Let's go get Lukaku. And some of that's got to be done in football, even at clubs that are, that are quote unquote well-run. But like, I think there is a scenario where they are kind of what Spurs are sort of revenue wise and 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 competition level wise but maybe they built themselves up to be a big enough brand that they can stay kind of in the what I would call the Liverpool Arsenal band of enough revenue although we've kind of slipped out of that we'll get back to it um enough revenue enough profitability to kind of sort of compete but not economically with the likes of City and United now United have gotten nowhere with that which is hilarious City have gotten unfortunately quite a lot out of that but 
I want to focus on the timing, Paul. Arsenal have a young squad, an exciting Mm -hmm. squad, a squad on the up, a young manager who I think all of us on this podcast have had varied opinions on over time and right now feel very encouraged by. We did both half rewatches for Wolves. You see a very well-coached team. So the manager seems like he's on the up now. The, The team, the squad is young and improving. We feel like we're making strides. But it could have been the case, Paul, that purely because of the resources at the clubs we need to jump over, City, Chelsea, maybe United, Liverpool is a little different, that even as good as we look like we're getting and even as as directionally correct as we look, we could never have gotten to the top of the mountain just because of resources. Chelsea may be going through a period of uncertainty and rebuilding right now, could not come at a better time for us, is my opinion, because it, it sort of clears the runway just that bit more for this young team to say, look, it's opening up for us to go achieve really big things at Arsenal, which maybe didn't feel the case a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. Look, um, I agree with your scenario that this will be bought by a proper business group. <clears throat> um, there's just no way it can be a sports washer, anybody dodgy. The PL's reviewing its rules. Now, even if they don't do anything substantial, they simply can't in this next period of time, allow another human rights violator coming through, and that's who needs to do the uh, And it wouldn't the even achieve washing. their goals, even if they yeah. let them. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. So it's going to be some kind of business group. Um, and let's have a little think about Arsenal just a few years ago. We just changed our manager and look at the ramifications to the following years that came from it. Look at what happened when United just changed their manager. Okay, a long-reigning manager, um, what it's put them through. Um, This isn't just a case of, oh, they'll have less money and they'll be more uh, business-focused and try and run within budgets and stuff. This is going to be a massive cultural change. Good point. Um, Everything... From Abramovich down, like he has an organization full of people that he's going to leave behind from Marina Granoskoya or whatever her name is, uh, on downwards, who are all used to playing to Abramovich's tune. And he will have kept things in order, but he will also have had plenty of contention in there because that's how the guy at the top likes to rule. So there'll be loads and loads of politics now that he's gone, the knives will be out. <laughs> and all those grievances, because the man loved a grievance. He loved playing his parties off against each other. It wasn't just managers who, were, who always felt they were on the edge of getting done in. Like the politics in their arsenal is nothing. Like we lost Ivan. Then we lost. Look what happened when Ivan left. Raul makes his big move, uh, squashes people, people leave. Uh, Raul doesn't work out then there's another reshuffle like that's nothing that is absolutely nothing this will be like a microcosm of what happened when the Soviet Union was taken apart like the politics is just warming up guys get the popcorn ready it's going to be a fucking mess the number of people who like it's basically they're going to have to turn over not just the playing team and the manager. They might like the the thing is they might keep Tuchel around for a little while may, uh, and this crew, but they're going to be under such a shitstorm. The turnover within that club is going to be immense. 
early on, or if it isn't, it's going to be a slow burn. Like it's just like they might get lucky. It might go okay. It's a lot more likely that this will be one of those case studies they do at Harvard in terms of or organizational but cultural change. Everything flowed under him. And then the other aspect of it is how did the finances at Chelsea really work? We know what's in the official books, but you see all these weird transfers for high fees to other places. Now, maybe there was nothing super hokey, but how they did business and how they made money to balance the books that Roman Abramovich is selling this club with. Um, they're going to have to do business in a whole other way. they got a whole extended network. Like if you buy this club, your concerns may not be the performances on the pitch. It's like how do you untangle their massive, you know, they were, they were in the human uh, trading business with 30-something loanies, club relationships, blah, blah, blah. Like there's a whole bunch of things the new management will have to come in and worry about way beyond football to try and work out what they're doing, what their strategy is going forward, et cetera, et cetera. And then sponsors are going to be looking at this and saying, is this the club we want to be associated with going forward? Like there's mm. sponsorship deals in place, but will they all want to renew next time around with Chelsea rather than somebody with a relatively clean sheet of paper it's going to be all change all the time i think there's a really good opportunity we're in a really good spot even this season to chase them for that we're two points behind if we win our game in hand depending on which game in hand you have in mind um and they've got champions league they're chasing like paul's like screw top four let's let's look for third let's let's, yeah, go let's for look third. for third I love, I, I love the energy clive <laughs> no i thought paul makes a great point because um they are they are now synonymous with abramovich there because before that they hadn't won a league title since you know since it's in black and white so and now they've won many league titles and every trophy in the game right? i think the more trophies than any other team since abramovich came on board so what does this mean? This means they're synonymous. Clive, that's a br- can I just say, that's a brilliant point. He spent two decades making himself synonymous with Chelsea. Exactly. Because sports washing. The other side of that is uh, he spent two, make, two decades making Chelsea some synonymous with him. Well done, Roman. Exactly. exactly. And that means now that whoever comes in has got to be markedly different to wash that club of its recent history, which has been so successful, that's going to be very difficult to do. So washing goes both ways, right? So I, I you know, there's there's already stuff at the Premier League level where they're looking at all sorts of sponsorships, Russian sponsorships. I mean, quite, let's not pretend. Money's money, right? Even our own government's been been sponsored by <laughs> by Russian fund, people giving them funds, etc. So... It's Says it's the man everywhere. Who tried to buy Hitler's car. Uh, it's it's absolutely everywhere in London. You know, a lot of the major properties in London. Guess who were their own by? I mean, let's not pretend that even in 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 the UK, shall we say, we're sitting there as the moral guardians of the world because money's money. And now let's see how quickly we unravel and distance ourselves. At all different facets of business and sport is starting to happen very very quickly. I'm not an expert on this. This is not my thing, you know, but I read like anybody else and I read of the 40-mile convoy on its way to Kiev. This is very worrying. This is very worrying when this could end up and how this is going to change how we look at 
life across Europe in particular, right? And maybe life full stop, right? And on the back end of a pandemic, this is not something that's going to be good for people. Yeah. You know, it's just not good at <clears> all. <throat> so, sorry. <clears throat> no, no, no. I, and I was just going to say, Clive, I mean, like, the the point becomes that Chelsea sort of wind up becoming the Premier League representation of some of the distasteful things we're seeing. Yeah. And that that's an unpleasant reality for new ownership that has to be thinking about securing sponsorship and funding the club through traditional means. And I guess what I would say to you, Clive, is like Arsenal saw this a little bit, but Chelsea are going to have this to the extreme. When you have an owner as popular as he is with their fans, leaving and potentially being replaced by, quote, proper businessmen <laughs> and, and women who are not, you know, not necessarily going to always be as concerned with success on the pitch as, the, as success on the bottom line, you know what you're going to have. Fan protests, half-empty stadiums, you know, blowback. You know, look at what Hicks and Gillette went through. Like, and and there was never an ownership group <clears throat> quite as popular anywhere in the Premier League. I would submit as Abramovich has been at Chelsea. So it's going to be hard for anyone to come in, reproduce that level of success. Almost impossible. They're not going to be embraced by the fans. I would submit. So it it is a really unappealing project. Yeah, they'll only be embraced if they do better than him. And how could they do better than basically win the European Cup and literally sitting there as the world club champions as we speak? You know? I mean, it's literally, it's, it's almost an impossible job. So how would you, it's almost a case of why would you want to do it? I read today there was a, there was a price out there about 2.3 billion two, three years ago, and there was no bids. And now he's asking for 4 billion. I don't think it's going to be, whatever happens, Elliot, I, I, I'm not an expert here, and I'll say it again. I don't think it's going to be quick unless there's something seismic happens. It's going to take right. like a, a billion, you know what I mean? And someone's going to get a, a bargain, and yeah. then they're going to have to unwind, untangle the mess of the legacy he's left behind for them that can't be repeated, where they won't be embraced, where sponsors aren't sure they want to participate. It paints a really difficult picture. And Clive, to Paul's point, they don't have a culture of, you know, long-term building, really. They have the lone army, and they sack managers, and he just invests when he needs to. Abramovich is the culture. Abramovich is the culture. This is what I was leading to earlier. He is the culture. Every For most people listening to his podcast, they can barely remember Chelsea without Abramovich. Sadly. Right? So, <laughs> and because they were irrelevant before then, they were all they were about to go basically out of business. Until they sold for about one forty, one fifty million, which sounds ridiculously cheap at the moment, and and so they, Chelsea are Abramovich. So good luck washing that name off the badge. Well, I guess I guess all I would say, Clive, is you, you have to admit, though, right? If you're first of all, if you're a Chelsea player, you're looking at this probably saying, mm, I might want to start exploring my options. Um, but if you're an Arsenal player, Clive, if you're a Bukayo Saka, an Emil Smith-Rowe, a Martinelli, young player, an up-and-coming Arsenal, and you've been thinking, can I achieve my goals at this club? And you see one of the hurdles maybe being knocked down for you. This has to be really encouraging. And you do wonder if this dest- – I mean, to Paul's point, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but it destabilizes Chelsea in the short, short term in terms of what they go and achieve this season. I, I mean, I think that's maybe a, a bit – uh, overly optimistic, but if if you're a young player at Arsenal and you see this hurdle potentially being knocked down, it has to be really encouraging for you for your prospects. Yeah, I agree. But there will be people at Aston Villa thinking the same thing, and at Newcastle in particular thinking the oh, same gosh, thing. Yeah, yeah and um, and so the king let, is dead. We, long live the king, so to speak. Exactly. <laughs> and um, okay, Everton have got a real problem now because they take they've taken money from Usman and 
the training ground is sponsored by him, etc. And they've got a new ground that was being built. And I don't think that was going to happen without particular funds. So they've got a real problem now. They're in a, they're in a bit of a freeze. And who knows? That's without even reading and thinking about other clubs that have this money in the background or on the board in some form or another. This will all come out in the next few days. As for as for Arsenal, I hope we just continue on the path that, that we're on um, and make us the place to be. You know my line, make us the place to be. And there's a young centre-forward running around at Southampton right now just thinking, maybe it's time for me to get out of here. I'm not. I'm a Chelsea loan army player. Let me get out of here. Let me see what's happening at Arsenal. That's the sort of thing I want to see. I remember one of my family members was a Arsenal um, scholar and went for the whole youth system. And he would tell me what it was like with the youth system at Chelsea and how different it was and how many coaches would turn up for a game. I mean, literally two coaches, one for the coaches and one for the players for a youth game. It was just a different funded model. And it was very difficult to watch the best Arsenal talent, or not even arrive at Arsenal, but go there. And this has been going on in the background for years, for absolute years. And I've known of it, and I know what happens, and I know how people get coerced. And I'm massively frustrated at the opportunity that we could have had. But we we chose our way to do business. It was sometimes it was wasteful, sometimes inefficient. But hopefully most of the time it was it was done alongside the morals by which we all would like to stand behind. But it's football, right? It's money, so you can never be 100% sure. But I'm very comfortable being an Arsenal fan today. Very comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, this is not meant to be a, a KSE or Stan Kroenke apology tour. I know we, there's some people that want to do the whataboutism thing of all bad billionaires are bad. We're not going to get into that. I tend to find that a little bit distasteful myself. But like... In terms of the the long term future of club and protecting the club, a- any business person can bankrupt your club. But when you are not associated with someone that's at risk of literally having their assets seized from them, you're probably in a better position. And that leads me to the, the final thought on this topic. And then we can quickly laugh at Spurs and touch on Watford. Paul, I don't feel bad for Chelsea at all. They didn't deserve any of the success, and I can't wait till they don't have it any longer. I find myself feeling a little bit bad for Everton potentially because they might be in pretty shaky, I mean, they're in very shaky ground on the in the table. I don't know how contaminated they could be by the Usmanov situation, but Usmanov, he's the one who did have his $300 million yacht or pound yacht, whatever it is, seized, and he is definitely in the crosshairs, and they could be facing some economic uncertainty themselves that may have uh, existential issues for them, both from a stadium standpoint and from a, an operating standpoint. So do you have maybe a little more sympathy for Everton? Because they're in a situation we were in, in a sense. We had that wolf at our door. You know, he he was in our hen house, so to speak. Uh, he left and went into theirs, and and now they could be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean, to start with, I don't hate Everton nearly as much because of the last couple of decades when they've basically been the good guys uh, the Honest Club, uh, recently purchased by a little bit of a, a an oligarch uh, two-puncher two with uh, Yuzmanov and Moshiri, uh, who were very s- closely associated to our club at one yep. point yep. and fortunately went in the other direction. Um, so, yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for the 
Everton club. I mean, the money, he says, laughing his ass off, thinking about the fact the money they did spend, they spend, spent absolutely horribly. Uh, Everton fans don't deserve that. Uh, they were, unlike Chelsea, they were one of the great clubs of English football over a period of decades. They were what Liverpool were before Liverpool were Liverpool. Um, they're one of the grand old clubs. They have a great supporter base. Um, It's real. There's no plastics. The fact that they haven't won anything for so long means all the plastic has been beaten out of them. Um, And like, um, I'm I'm glad this thing is getting killed at Everton before it's really gotten going. And but they're under a kind of an FFP uh, block at the moment in terms of their spending because they did their best, or at least Mashiri and Uzmanov did over the last couple of years, to turn them into a Chelsea and a Newcastle. So it's not like the owners uh, haven't been trying, but they've recently been blocked, so they're stuck with their crappy players. Um, and yeah, it's that's tough on supporters who've had a rough time looking down the way at Liverpool and, and their success for... Uh, a number of decades uh, that that this is kind of looks like it might be getting snuffed out for them. Um, I wouldn't have wished the upside to them that you have these oligarchs running your club. In the end, it's got to feel somewhat empty if you're an actual real person inside when it gets to it. Um, so at least it's protected. They're protected from from losing their souls along the way, but they're stuck with this kind of morass that, you know, football supporters don't deserve this. They don't ask for it. They they don't want to think too far into the football fan finances and the background of, of owners uh, taking on clubs, except at Arsenal, because that's what we've done for the last decade, understanding accounts, ownership, models, um, so fair play to us. We, we, we've somehow been protected from making bad moves and, and buying into it. The This ignorance has been lifted from our eyes. And we, as a supporter base, I think, are about as educated as you can be. And like, as Clive said, there are a lot of supporters who at one stage uh, were itching for Usmanov to make a move. But I'm amazed how many people the vast majority of people I engage with, and maybe it's just the circles we run in uh, on social media, who were not, despite uh, at our lowest points, no matter how shitty things were and how frustrated they were with Cronky, they might muse about what life might be like under an oligarch. But I can't think of too many who said that's what they want. One or two. The vast majority were, there must be a better way. There must be another way. How about just a good KSE instead of a bad KSE? How about some other model, some ownership model? What, you know, scratching their heads, wondering about other countries, other leagues, how they do it. Um, very few people I know went to, oh, let's, great, let's push for an oligarch. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, look, we've turned to loss three seasons in a row including a huge loss this time. We've been debt financed by uh, the owner and in a way that doesn't appear to load the club, particularly with debt or at least, you know, extremely low interest debt. I mean, so, some of that is a little o- opaque to me and and Mike will be speaking about that later on the pod if you want to hear it. But, you know, the, there's been a lot of spending at Arsenal. 
I, I would suggest that it hasn't been an impediment to our success. I don't think I don't think we're in a position where we cannot compete due to a lack of resources versus the average club, you know, setting aside the likes of Manchester City and Chelsea and United. And two of those, we know why. One of those may be going away, and United is just a, a revenue machine. So, you know, I, I think we are in a good position. And so, with that having been said, Clive, one club that is in, forever in our shadow, if they have not necessarily been in our shadow the last few seasons, it's only because uh, maybe the sun moved, but they, they are forever in our shadow and they will be again, um, is Tottenham. They got knocked out of the FA Cup. There was a part of me that sort of said, well, it might be okay if they stay in it so they have the distraction. But they did go 120 minutes um, and you know maybe that'll have an impact for them for the weekend. But the thing that just struck me watching them is there are some things that just seem broken with the way they play. I mean, it is so easy to run through their midfield, so easy to run in behind and they don't track runners behind their fullbacks and they they don't have anyone clogging up the midfield. They really are counterattacking merchants. And you know, as we look ahead to an ultimate showdown with them that's going to be coming and the balance of the season, they are the, the, the club in the best position to keep us out of the Champions League. But watching them the last few games, and especially in the Cup, when the impetus is on them to go and attack, they they look like a very easy team to beat. Yeah, well, they have they have two or three different faces, don't they? And um, I don't take the mickey out of them too much. I want to make sure we distance ourselves from them. We haven't finished above them for four or five years. So although I laugh, I laugh quietly until we actually get ahead of them properly. They've overtaken us in the revenue. They have a shinier stadium. They have a shinier training ground. And they have a £15 million a year manager. And so they do all the box ticking, right? They do all that stuff that basically tells me they're fattening themselves up for a sale. They're on brand growth. That's what they're trying to do. And we need to deal with them by just making sure we finish ahead of them. That's the most key thing. As a team, I haven't rated them for a couple of years since Poch's Dembele team that was excellent and should have won something. But again, their mentality let them down when it really counted in the various semifinals, etc. They should have won the league or Leicester won the league. They are the best team. They didn't do it. That's their moment gone. And now they now they have to refine themselves and they're trying to do it by having big name short term managers to try to keep themselves relevant. On the football side of things, they've gone to Conti three five two or five three two basically. The construct of the midfield is three defensive midfielders. Sorry, it's three four two one. So they have two players behind the striker. They brought in Kulisewski and they got Son, they got Kane, and everyone else is quite defensive, really. You know, and because of that, they're suited to a system where you pile onto them and those defenders hold in, and then they break out into spaces inverted right and left, and then obviously they got the big bloke up front who smashes shots every two seconds, regardless if they're the better player on or not. And so they're very easy to read, and they were, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the only one that predicted they would lose <laughs> to Burnley after beating Man City. You know, I think people can read them. You know, and I think they're easy to read. And they also could turn up against us and play fantastic. So I'm not ready to laugh at them just yet, Elliot, if I'm honest with you. Make sure we do our business. Make sure we stay ahead of them. And then I will laugh louder than most because it's about time now. And I, I said to you before, I like what we're doing. I think we're going to get what we deserve, and we deserve it because we're doing it properly. Not just off the pitch, but on the pitch, and the way we're building people, growing people. 
I like what we're doing. I really do. Much more efficient financially and with people. So I hope we get our rewards. I really do because that's how life works, right? Work hard, work properly, work the right way. You should get your rewards and I hope we get ours. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm i a little different from you, Clive. Just a little. I think otherwise people would say we're indistinguishable from one another in that <laughs> I am always prepared to laugh at Spurs, regardless of circumstance, loudly, robustly. And uh, I did so at full time of their FA Cup elimination. And I will do so again, as I expect that they will continue to suffer. So that is a good thing. Paul, we can finish on this. Um, Watford at the weekend. I watched their game against United and like, it pains me to say it, but I think United a little unlucky not to get the yeah. three points. Um, the fact is that Watford are are creating next to nothing in the league. Uh, and and they looked a little dangerous on the counterattack against United, but you can see why they're creating next to nothing. They just don't have the players in the attacking half to make the difference when they even are able to create those counterattacks, really. And defensively, they were all over the shop. So... I'm curious, you know, admittedly, I haven't watched a lot of Watford. I But that that game, I, I watched it. I was thrilled that United didn't get something from it, but I didn't see a, a Watford team that looked particularly strong. So how do you how do you um, think about this game? It is a way, I don't, you know, I don't know that that matters. Uh, Tomiyasu is a long-term absence. He's not going to be back. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, uh, Almost every team in the league is dangerous. They can put out three fairly dangerous attacking players up front, but they're not good. Um, They've mostly focused on getting organized and a little more defensive, grinding out the points um, so that they can stay in the chase, getting a point per game or more. Um, So... This is a game in which it's really down to us. If we show up and play our football, uh, we should be able to take our three points home fairly comfortably. Get the first goal is key. Uh, Because if they get the first goal, they'll sit in and you never know what you're going to get at that point. Um, I think generally we're starting fast. Uh, Our pressing's good. So even in that more open stage of the game, I think we have a good chance for getting at them. Look, I don't, we've got whatever, what, 15 games or or something to go right now. I don't think this is rates in my top few of the toughest games we've got to face. These are the games we've got to win. When you compare us to Spurs, Spurs look dead in the eyes. They only seem to liven up if maybe they're playing us or they're playing City or one or two other teams. Outside of that, they just, you look into their eyes, they're dead. They don't believe it. They don't enjoy it. There's nothing there. And mm. so it's these kinds of games <clears throat> that Spurs, United, etc., can take uh, a step backwards, not get garnering the points they should. And these are the kinds of games that we've been basically clicking, ticking off, moving uh, through the league, gathering our points, two points per game on the average, uh, playing our football, uh, dominating the central spaces enough that we create our chances. This shouldn't, like, they're going to try and block that central area, zone 14. We're going to try and mix it up a bit. Jack or uh, Lacazette's going to be flopping around, getting fouls, looking for penos, bumping into people. It's all good. I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, Clive, I think it's going to be fine is, uh, you know, 
I mean, put it on our, our tombstone. Like, <laughs> when has that ever gone wrong? I tend to think it's going to be fine, too. Are you prepared to say, I think it's going to be fine, or do you want to bite your tongue off? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we're going to be fine. And I, don't, I always find a reason to worry about a game, but I'm not so worried about this one. Um, not because I'm disrespecting them. I just feel there is a... We're sitting there well-rested. We know what's coming up. The target's becoming bigger and clearer, and we need to go and do the job against them. Um, yes, they've got three sprinty forwards, and one of them is very good in Ismail Issar. And Emmanuel Dennis is not bad neither, and Josh King is not bad neither. But the, the, the players behind that front three, they are there to be challenged. And the good thing about watching Arsenal recently is that we're not playing in areas where other teams can hurt us. So let's see what we do. Crystal Palace stuck four in their net in the last game. And you know what? I think we can do something similar. And I often hear me say that, right? But they took four points to Manchester United, you know? So let's bear that in mind. You know, they cost Ollie his job. And, and, and uh, obviously they got Neil Nordjaw the other day, which I haven't seen, but I heard it was quite fortunate to get. So they've done a job for us. Now we've got to make sure we, we deal with them. And I, and I think we will. I think we're in good shape to do this game. And then we go into the, I think we have a little break, do we? A little break. And then we go into the three yeah. games in six days. And I think that's when we want to make sure Arsenal in, in, in tip-top form for those three games. I think we, we caught a break with the Wolves games timing out the way they did. But like, obviously a very, very emotional game. And playing away against a weaker side three days after an emotional game can be, can really trip you up. But we got that time off to let the heat of the emotion settle so that we can approach this game professionally and focused. Um, not that we wouldn't have done it otherwise, but sometimes you come off the emotion of a huge win and you ride it and you, you can't be stopped. You're indomitable. Yeah. But like, sometimes I think the emotion can overcome you, Clive. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with that. I think the Wolves game was incredibly emotional. Um, and I think we needed that time. We need that time to re- to reset again. There was a year, a couple of years ago, in Emory time, when we went to Dubai. We came back and lost our form. I don't remember it. And Aaron Ramsey mm. got injured. And, and we all know what happened towards the end of that season. It didn't work out. And it was one of the first times we've ever gone away in, in the middle of the season. And we did it that time. We've gone away this time. We've come back. And I, I sense a completely different unity, you know, and it's as though everything's been cleansed and the focus has been clear and the motivations are all been aligned and the goals and targets are set and they're known to everybody in the club. And I just sense a massive desire and ferocity to achieve it. And having these games spaced out allows us to reset and refocus every single time. We go into the big week coming up and we... And let's see where we are at the end of that. But at the same time, other teams around us are losing games, not claiming four points, and are under pressure to keep producing. So one of the good things is just just keep winning, right? When you win, you put you put indirect pressure on others to keep doing the same and play a different way and rush shots and rush crosses and things like that. So we just need to keep doing our work improve our efficiency in the last third because I think there's more goals out there for us. And I think we'll be fine. I really do. Yeah. I mean, uh, let's just get this done, going to the international break in a happy mood because that would make me feel better. And I think Arsenal should be considerate of that. I would make all of us feel better and they should be considerate of that. So there are a lot of big things afoot at the Arsenal Vision podcast. Um, 
London-based events, fundraisers with the Arsenal Foundation, um, lots of things afoot that we're going to announce. After I tell you about Indeed, um, there's going to be Mike from the Gunners Pod telling you about the Gunners versus Cancer charity, but also going over the Arsenal financials. So this is going to be a bit of a longer episode in case you couldn't tell just by you know looking at the uh, runtime on your podcast playing device. In any event, uh, you know what? There's not always there's not always the right candidate for the job you're hiring for because hiring for a job can be next to impossible because it's hard to find the right talent. Multiple websites, candidates that come back, not fitting your needs, and then you pay for it anyway. Well, when your business is starting its championship run, much like we are starting our run to the Champions League, nothing matters more than finding the best talent. And when you need to find the best talent, you need Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. It's the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, how much is your time worth? Like that alone is worth something. Hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that helps you do all of it. Indeed partners with you every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. And with Instant Match, which is one of their great features, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. And you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for the quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Yeah. I mean, Indeed makes it easy. They deliver four times more hires than all their job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Four times more than all the other ones combined. Why would you be anywhere else? Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com, Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, bud. Thank you very much. Mike's up next. Stay with us. Okay, and now it's time to introduce a man who really should be uh, here for a Manscaped advertisement, but none of those to do today, unfortunately. So we'll just have to uh, lean into talking about the Arsenal and uh, philanthropic pursuits as well, because that's a big talking point today. So here with me now is Mike. You can find him on Twitter uh, at the Gooners Pod from the Gooners Pod and from Gooners versus Cancer. Hello, Mike. Hello, Elliot. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. I mean, it's always a, a pleasure to talk to you. I, the funny thing is, like, usually when we talk, like, I come on your pod, there's some scatological humor, there's some yeah. some sex and body parts jokes, uh, we talk Arsenal or not, and then two it's over. Minutes. So, two yeah. minutes of Arsenal. Well, two, two minutes can also be a sex joke, but, you know, either way, the, the point is um, that we're not going to do that today, so I'm sorry to disappoint you. I know uh, that that means that we're not going to necessarily hit the bullseye for content that you're used to, but the other thing that you are uh, known for, <laughs> apart from your excellent podcast, is being an award-winning fundraiser, actually, uh, at the FCA Awards last year. You were given the best, uh, what was it, best fundraising effort? But what was the exact? Best football fundraiser, which which is a little misleading because, you know, it makes you think that you're raising money to buy a football. And fortunately, through a lot of hard work in my life, I, I have enough money to buy a football. But uh, but yeah, best football fundraiser. Uh, it was exciting. We started the night with yours. We ended it with mine. And a lot of red wine in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of wine, a lot of bubbles. It was a, it was a good night, and a good night uh, in your case f- for a good cause. Really, the most important award, of course. And like, um, it, to, in far as fundraisers to buy a football, there may need to be a fundraiser to buy a football club over in uh, West London. But that's another issue. So, the website. Let's just get it out there. It's Gooners vs Cancer, right? Gooners. It, VS I have it so that so that any however you spell versus it's Gooners VS Cancer.com or you can do Gooners V because when you do VS a lot of people in the uh, 
in Europe and, and in, in Britain get a little annoyed because they don't use the S. So you can get, I am that thoughtful about, about, you know, figuring out how to run this charity that I actually have both set up. You are a thoughtful man. All right. Well, for people who haven't heard you talk about the charity, the Gunners versus Cancer Charity before, let's do this. Let's give them a, a refresher on why you do this, what the, the charity is about, and then um, a, a pretty exciting raffle opportunity for people to win something special. And then we are, don't worry, we're going to talk about the really exciting stuff, Arsenal Finances, uh, because Mike <laughs> is an expert in that field as well. So firstly, why so is yeah, uh, Gunners versus what, Cancer is something I started about five years or so ago. The the you know, really the inspiration for that is my father who passed away of leukemia in his mid sixties. And that was actually next Thursday, uh, a week from now, it'll be 12 years to the day. And, um, and, and it occurred to me that I really wanted to do something in his honor. And so I started raising money for the leukemia and lymphoma society, which is an amazing charity. They work world around trying to both find cures for cancer to, help families that are going through cancer right now. They were massive in our case. And I've heard from so many people about how, you know, how incredible they are, both comforting, uh, making arrangements for and and helping with funding for, for families that are struggling with it, as well as finding the cure, which is something that has to be done. I really hope it's done before our lifetimes. And, yeah. uh, and so Gunners versus Cancer, you know, my spirit of, of, of charity is always that we want to have people with a common base rally together for something important and have fun doing it. And and the only way I could think of having fun while raising money for cancer was to really offer people incentives and turn it not just into a, please, can we have your money? But also, you know, there's an opportunity to really win things or, or participate in things that are great. So, We've really started out always doing either competitions. We have a FIFA tournament every summer where all the money goes towards the the Leukemia Lymphoma Society and people have fun, meet gooners around the world. We do raffles and auctions of fun events and experiences. Every summer to mid-fall, we do a, a kind of a raffle of about 10 or 11 great items. Amazing tickets in Block 32 at the Emirates, for example. Beers with Perry Groves after a, a, a stadium tour, which is something you have to experience. And uh, and a lot of signed memorabilia, shirts, team signed shirts and that sort of thing. That usually goes from about June to August. But this year, we have perhaps the most amazing thing to offer. Uh, it's something that I started thinking about years ago. And Alan Smith himself made it happen. And it is a signed retro shirt from the Arsenal shop, uh, from the 1989 away shirt that they wore at that famous night, 26 May, 1989 against Anfield. And it is signed, not only signed by the four gunners who started that incredible play that, that won us the league that year, John Lukic, Lee Dixon, Alan Smith, and Michael Thomas. But each of them writes the famous Brian Moore commentary of that moment while they had the ball at their feet. So it starts with Lukic writing, Arsenal comes streaming forward. Then Lee Dixon writes his portion, Alan Smith. And then finally, Michael Thomas with right at the end, Thomas. And uh, so it mixes together a, a, a memory that's incredible uh, for Gooners that were around then or have learned about it since. And as far as I know, it's a one of a kind. Uh, they haven't done this. This isn't something that exists and we just bought one. This is the one. And we're giving it away 
in a raffle format and trying to raise as much money as we can for, for the great cause. Mm, it's, it's a great piece of memorabilia. It is a great cause. Um, you know, and I think one of the things, Mike, let's face it, right? Like this has been a couple of years where top of everyone's mind is COVID. So to really be able to bring the focus back to this, to do something that connects with the Arsenal community, the Arsenal fan community, and, and have something that's not just, you know, asking for support and donations and money, which is important, but with the opportunity to win something that's really, really special. Well, and you know, as well as I do, I mean, your, your fundraising last year uh, for the Arsenal Foundation was amazing, uh, right in the midst of a time where all these other things were true. Um, and, and you know, I've had people come to, t- come to me and say, don't even enter me in the drawing. I just want to give to this cause. It's fantastic. And it just, it really touches me because there are so many things. I mean, I almost didn't, virtually speaking, as far as the charity is concerned, I almost didn't get out of bed in 2020 for the charity because I just assumed that it would not go over well, couldn't do in-person fundraising, uh, so many other things that people had needs for right in the midst of the massive uh, beginning part of COVID. And yet it was, to that date, our best fundraising year yet and just really, really touching. And that energizes me to keep moving forward. I mean, and, and Gooners, of all groups of people, sporting or otherwise, are some of the most generous people. I mean, I I get really angry with people when they talk about Gooners as, you know, some sort of homogenous social media nightmare. <laughs> well, we can get, be that if we want to be. Don't, well, don't, we, don't poke we the bear. can be that, but it's when people just assume that that's all we are because the Gooners that I've seen, the, the family that I'm part of uh, and that everybody is part of if they look for it, is a much more caring, much more generous, much more communal type of group that cares a lot, a lot more than... Uh, you know, give me top four or else. Yeah. And and nothing tells you that bet more than the types of responses you get for, for this. So, you know, if you want to see it, if you want to see the shirt, if you want to see a quick video about the shirt, um, the words on it, all of that, just go to Gooners V Cancer or Gooners VS Cancer, either one.com. And, uh, and you can donate directly on that site as well. The donations go to the Leukemia Lymphoma Society directly. It's $25 which is equivalent to just under 19 pounds sterling, I believe, uh, for each entry. And you can buy as many entries through a donation as you'd like. We're going to stop when we hit 500 entries. And when we do, we'll publicize that we're going to be doing the draw for it and someone's going to get a really amazing piece of memorabilia. So uh, yeah. so that's how you learn more about it. That's how you participate. And, uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it, Elliot. It's a very easy thing to get behind. Let's put it that way. Yeah, thank um, you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and and your your audience, who I know I'm speaking to at the moment, so I'm telling you right now that you collectively are you know some of the most generous people, and and uh, and you have, a, you have great viewership, listenership, and and so I love every opportunity that you give me to be able to appeal. So thank you again for yeah. that. Okay, well, enough of that. Remember, go to Gooners V Cancer or Gooners VS Cancer, depending on uh, how you like your Vs, flicked with an <laughs> S or just standalone, GoonersVCancer.com, uh, and you can enter the raffle to win a really extraordinary piece of memorabilia. So as promised, now you get the really exciting discussion about Arsenal financials, spreadsheets, um, uh, P&Ls, balance sheets, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's the really sexy stuff. Um, look, Swiss Ramble did uh, his excellent thread uh, a couple days ago. He is the master of this. Enough, with no disrespect intended to you, of course. No, but, no. Swiss, Swiss Ramble, I, I came out with something before he did that that three people enjoyed, but they said, okay, we're, we're waiting for, for Swiss Ramble. I have dubbed myself Jewish Ramble, um, <laughs> you know, just, just to try to get a little taste of, of the Ramble, uh, you know, the – 
well, maybe someone will confuse us and I'll, and, and I'll get invited on to, uh, you know, into a show to talk about it. But yeah, well, well you are now, again. you are now, that's the important thing. Oh, look, Swiss, Swiss Ramble doesn't do podcasts. He doesn't so do so podcasts. Believe yes. me, we tried as well. <laughs> so, so you're totally fine. Um, so, so let's dive into it. Just really 30,000 foot view at a high level. What are some of the key points from the financials that were reported that you think Arsenal fans should be aware of and should be focused on because there's always going to be stuff that's noise. What's the signal that cuts through the noise? Um, there are a few things. I mean, you have to look forward in this situation and you have to consider what a, what a unique year, five years and 10 years we've been through. And so, I mean, the, 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 the handful of things that, that most people have been talking about recently and in a lot of cases, unfortunately talking about in completely the wrong perspective are the debt refinance the massive losses uh, and the fact that losses have been on the books now for four straight years uh, and, and what that all means, the, the reduction in payrolls that's happened, and of course, the news coming out about the 4% ticket increases and the pretty understandable frustration about that. So where do you want me to start? Uh, ticket increase tends to be the most uh, the thing on most people's uh, tongues. And you know, as, as has been said in many cases, the ticket increase of 4%, if you look at it in a vacuum, if you look at it and say, well, how much have tickets gone up in the past 10 years? Or, you know, when's the last time they went up, which I believe is seven or eight years ago? Or, yes, it's actually true that some tickets are going up by 4%, but some tickets are actually going down, especially for, you know, concessions in the youth. You look at it and say, well, it's really not that big of a deal, which, of course, is an easy thing to say if you, A, don't go to games, B, if you're fortunate enough to, to, to have the wealth, you know, but it's not as easy to say if you are, as many people have talked about on Twitter, really living month to month, paycheck to paycheck, and going to and away uh, for or, or home and away for Arsenal is a passion that you don't want to have to give up. So I'm not going to minimize the increase other than it's pretty minimal to, to KSE. And pretty minimal to, to Arsenal Football Club. It's going to raise in, in the best of years where where the stadium sold out for every game and, and there's no COVID type of things. It's going to raise three million pounds um, on you know on a on a net basis, three or four million pounds. And you know, in the scheme of losses of over a hundred million pounds, gains that when we have them are multiple millions of pounds. It just seems kind of like a strange time to announce it. Mm. Um, you know, at a time where the people who are actually paying those things are largely suffering, uh, along with, uh, you know, the rest of the economy, uh, they are going to be also making some improvements to the stadium. So, you know, again, in a vacuum, we need more money to make your experience better. We haven't asked for it for a long time. Doesn't seem that unreasonable. It just, maybe they could have waited a year and they would have been in a, in a more welcome environment from a, from a team performance standpoint for people to, to say, well, we're getting a better product. I'm happy to pay for it. Do I need to have any cynicism about the fact that they announced the ticket rise and the, the loss, uh, the hundred plus million pound loss at roughly the same time? I mean, yes, you do need to have cynicism about that. <laughs> okay. uh, I mean, the, the, the ticket rise was a fairly, poorly kept secret from the fan forum yeah, uh, yeah, a couple weeks know, back or the board meeting a few weeks back. So, you know, if you didn't know about it, then, you know, congratulations, you're probably living a wonderful life because you're not paying attention to social media, but <laughs> you're doing uh, it right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's always the, the messaging with Arsenal is never optimal. It, it just isn't, it never has been, 
It never seemingly will be under this administration. But, you know, messaging ultimately is less important in the long run than actual things that are happening. And, you know, just like with the redundancies, just like with the ESL, just like with everything, uh, it seems the me- the messaging seems real off here. But uh, but it is what it is. And, you know, I, I will continue to pay the higher prices when I go to games and, and hopefully it won't. Yeah, and you, you attend your fair share, so it's not like you're speaking to this without a dog in the fight. Um, yeah. One, one of the things that jumps out to me, though, is that, like, there's a massive, massive increase in broadcast revenue. So, you know, that that offset a big chunk of the match day revenue losses. And I'm wondering, is there still an accounting to be done there? Is there something that we need to look out for on the horizon? Because I, I'm yeah. not aware of any, any um, accommodation that was arrived at well, I'll make, you, I'll make you aware of one reason why, and 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 the 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 broadcasting revenue overall was about 184 million last year. Now, now, yes. when I say last year, let me reset this for a lot of reasons. We're talking about the year from June 1st of 2020, so three months into the mm-hmm. pandemic, to May 31st, 2021, which leaves us at the end of an eighth place finish where the season was. Uh, I'm sorry, where um, the, uh, you know, we had not yet spent all that money on the, on the six players. We hadn't spent the $150 million yet. Right. And the the summer it. spending from this past summer window is not included. And actually, one of the things I wanted to ask you about that also is um, when w- the wage bill, obviously Obamiang would still be on it, but does, does this include l- like Mesut Ozil's contract being – uh, paid off. How do how do we yeah. factor in you know the the way the wages drop off? Because a lot of the contracts expire, as I understand it, July one. You know the end of June, and, and that's this what, runs yeah. right. That, that's why some 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 firms slash football clubs do do July accounting as opposed to uh, May accounting or or do end of June accounting. And it, it's it's always kind of been a bit strange why everyone doesn't do May thirty first account. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, June thirtieth accounting. Um, which matches up with the football year, but Arsenal's always done it May. Liverpool, Spurs, I mean, most companies have done it at the end of May. So so there's two questions still to answer. The first about broadcasting. Um, what happened when the pandemic shut down games in March of 2020 is that about a, about a fifth of the season, seven or eight games were moved, uh, well, seven or eight home games, uh, but you know, the, everything from March seventh to the end of May was moved to ultimately what, what ended up being July, June, and July. Yeah, project restart. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. And in doing that, the broadcasting revenue for those games was deferred into the following exactly. year. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the reason that so if you look at twenty twenty finances, broadcasting had dropped uh, domestically from about one hundred and fifty four to one hundred and ten million. In twenty twenty one, it spiked to to one hundred and sixty million. And domestically, and that is mostly because it's a season plus of broadcasting revenue, uh, not just a regular season. If you average out the two, it would be much closer to the real number. Now, broadcasting revenue, some domestically has a little bit to do with your positioning. I think it's about two to three million pounds for each position that you are. So finishing eighth versus fourth or third or second uh, certainly cost us a little bit of money. But where the broadcasting revenue, you know, continued to be felt was on the European side. Now, this is an accounting year where we finished in the semifinal of the Euro- Europa League and lost to Unai Emery, of course. 
which is an immediate penalty of 24 million pounds when you lose to your ex-coach. But so, you know, to go from 120 million of broadcasting to 184, it won't be that next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that it, it's an artificially high number because of Project Restart. But then again, as you pointed out, the match day revenues dropped from 78 million to, to just under 4 million because of COVID and the entire season without fans just about in the stands. So, you know, when you, when you total all that together, commercial was fairly straight. It went down a little bit. Our total revenues, which they call turnovers, drop from, for the first time in a long time. Uh, well, for the second year in a row, actually, from 344 to 328 million. Mm. And that's mostly because of COVID, as they point out. Eighty or eighty-five million of our of our total losses are because of the impact of COVID. Uh, the second thing you asked about is wages, and the wage bill is not just the total of everything you're paying your players. The wage bill includes agent fees. It includes the non-player wages, which are hundreds and hundreds of people. Even after the layoffs, there's still three hundred some odd people people making, you know, making earnings. Some of them are, are highly compensated, you know, upper management. Um, it includes pensions and social security. So when you hear a 244 million pound wage bill, which is what we had, that isn't just, you know, the total of all of the players, the total of all the, sorry about that. (laughs) I, I usually ring it for a different that, reason. That, but the, that, yeah, that comes into play in your podcast. The, the total of all the players was closer to about 135 million. So it tells you kind of how that works. That increased mostly because of the big oh, contract extensions. I have lost. Yeah, there you are. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. That that wage increase for 244 million is largely because of uh, the extensions that we gave. Yes, Ozil was still at least half of a year was still on the wage bill for that year. Um, Willian still on the wage bill for that year. And, uh, and, and so that number is going to go down when you're really going to see that go down is in two years, because our next year's wage bill, I estimate go, will go down by over 30 million pounds. Yes. Uh, and that's already set because that's the wage bill that ends at the end of this season. Uh, after that, with a lot of the contracts that we essentially paid to get out of, Starting next season, we're we're down to sixty nine to seventy million pounds on the book for next season, plus all of the non players. So you're going to see the wage bill go down. Of course, it will go up in the in the following year because of the players that we're going to sign this summer. And you know the the Mbappe and Holland wages um, are going to are going to be significant. But that number is going to go down. And so our losses over the past three or four years have been attributable to two major things, COVID and being out of Europe, Mm. Uh, you know, totally out of Europe now, but, but, you know, mostly just being in the Europa league and the sharply lower prices and and prize money you get from that. So that's been maybe with a little um, cherry on top of not having any revenue from player player trading. Yeah. I mean, the, the play, the, the player trading revenue is, is, is diabolical as well. So yeah, you're, you're right. It's, it's really kind of three areas. We haven't sold players for a lot of money. We haven't been in the, the real European competition where, you know, instead of getting 24 million for getting to the semifinal, you get 24 million for, you know, just getting into the tournament and you'd probably end up with 50 or 60 or 70 or 80. Um, So yeah, those three things have led to it going forward. If we assume that the impact of COVID is over, please. Uh, 
Let's <laughs> let that happen. Um, if we assume that the days of you know of of buying players without getting value out of se- selling players is over, then our profit and loss structure and fo- going forward is going to be purely about Europe and purely about performance and the new TV contracts. So, you know, if you care about Arsenal's finances and their losses then you've got good news coming on the way because we are looking like getting back into Europe in some form uh, next season. COVID's behind us and these unusual charges and, and wages that we've been paying and paying to get rid of people who weren't playing for us are all on the mend. And that, I think, is as important a part of the lovely process that we keep hearing about as, you know, which subs are coming off the bench in which minute. Yeah, I mean... I think the story, Mike, is always a story of how do we compete with our rivals, and setting aside, uh, you know, um, owner financing. You look at revenue, and I mean, Arsenal have seen revenue fall twenty three million since twenty sixteen, and I, I hear a lot of people talking about the pandemic. But when I look at the larger picture. The pandemic is really an irrelevance. First of all, there are clubs that have managed to grow their revenue through the pandemic, and some that even managed to turn a profit. Um, I think Liverpool was among them. Manchester City was among them. And you always have to be careful with Manchester City's accounting because they have sweetheart deals that you know are not necessarily on the level. But when you look at our peak revenue in 2017 of 423 million pounds, we're down to 328 million in 2020. And even if you want to factor in the 70 or some odd million from pandemic-related costs or you know lost revenue that's still a decline of about 20 some odd million pounds of revenue over the last four years. And where it really hits home is this. Arsenal now are behind City, United, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Spurs. Just five years after being behind only United and City. And if you want to talk about competing, you know, and especially in context of maybe Chelsea being sold, which is a totally different issue, like really Arsenal cannot afford to be the sixth highest revenue, turning record Premier League losses. And the pandemic, I think, has been a little bit of cover for what we have to probably look at as maybe a little bit of negligence in the way we've been run. The commercial deals can be better. The player, tra- the player trading in, also needs to be better. Well, and and the turnover, you know, the player trading doesn't come into turnover, but mm-hmm. commercial revenue certainly do. And that's the major area where we have been behind. Television revenue is lightly sensitive to domestic performance, mm-hmm. highly sensitive to Champions League and, and Europe performance, yep. and then and commercial. And, th- and so those are really the, the two things. We are among the most reliant, if not the most reliant, on game day revenue as a percentage of our overall revenues of any team. And that's because we had, you know, we were kind of early adopters of a 60,000 you know, capacity stadium with the highest ticket prices in football. So yeah, we made a ton of money on match day revenues, but our commercial has always lagged behind. That's true. Uh, it certainly lags behind in, in the current environment of, of United and, and Liverpool and, and uh, well, not so much Liverpool, but, but United and, uh, and others. Oh, actually, yes, quite a bit Liverpool. Um, and uh, so yeah, not being in Europe, not being in the champions league for, four seasons on the trot uh, has absolutely murdered turnover. And, you know, we used to be able to survive not having necessarily the commercial deals that some of the other clubs did. And now we're really faltering in revenue. So it's, it's a perfect storm of, of the things that we've talked about. 
uh, our commercial revenue isn't really falling and it should do nothing but improve, especially if, if the, the play and the results end up improving. But, you know, we need to do better with player trading. And honestly, I think we're taking a bitter pill right now in the last couple of years, making sure that we have assets. I mean, no one wants to sell Bukayo Saka or Emil Smith-Rowe or Gar- Gabriel Martinelli. But the point is that, you know, we're not going to be throwing bad money, hopefully, af- after good players or after bad players anymore. And uh, so I really do think that we're turning the corner in that regard. And so our operating expenses net of player trading should be much better going forward. Yeah, and to be fair, look, if Arsenal are a round of 16 or better Champions League team versus a not-in-Europe team, a lot of this revenue comes back. <laughs> so absolutely, I mean, the good news is this can be corrected by just being better on the pitch, but being better on the pitch is obviously a byproduct of being run better. So it, it's all a, um, yeah, and, a, a and, virtuous circle. And with the obvious, I hope obvious, I should have probably started with this, but with the, with the caveat that, you know, when I talk about numbers and I, if I show optimism or excitement about, you know, the future and not losing as much money, I do actually care about the team winning more than I care about how much money we're winning or losing. I mean, I know it's, it's not our money. It's not, you know, I, I don't mean to, to, to portray a situation where I'd be happier if we made a hundred million pounds than if we won the champions league or the, or the league title. So I, I, I'm just compartmentalizing those things and saying, it's not good for the company, for the, for the, for, you know, the company, the firm for the club to be losing money. Those are some Freudian slips right there. <laughs> um, but it is at least good, and this is where a lot of people go wrong on this, that the Cronkies are are giving their almost best to get out of the situation. They understand, and it's clear by their actions, that they understand that the only way to get out of this debt is to get back in the top echelon of the Premier League. It's not to just shrink our club into a, uh, into a situation where we're a mid-table team with mid-table wages and mid-table expenses. Uh, and, and balance the books that way. For for owners who, quote unquote, never gave anything to the club, and this is the final point, which is the debt restructuring, they are now 209 million pounds into the club or the club's 209 million pounds into them for a loan that is no different than the loans that Roman Abramovich gave to Chelsea's parent company. Uh, you know, so that debt has been refinanced from being having to be paid in a certain period of time with interest to banks and to bondholders to the vast majority of being owed to Kroenke or to KSE UK in a form where there's most likely, and we'll know next year, most likely no interest being paid and no automatic time frame where it has to be paid back. Uh, two years notice to call it back if they did, but if they call that back, then they're selling the club. Yeah. So ultimately... For people who say that they're not, well, but they're not spending their own money on the club, they're not dumping their own money in. Uh, they are through a loan, just like Abramovich has done. Yeah, there's uh, going to be personal guarantees behind that loan as well. I mean, the, you know, that it's, not, and, it's not against the club. <laughs> yeah, let's say that loan stays at 209 million pounds for the foreseeable future. That money will come out of their sale of the club, and yes, that makes it their money. Mm-hmm. The only club that I'm aware of in in England that uses a different method of financing is Manchester City, who issues equity shares, and they've converted debt into equity shares through recapitalization. Ultimately, equity shares dilute, but when it's 100% owned, it doesn't matter. 
So they have actually essentially given money to the club that doesn't have to be paid back later. But they're by giving more they, shares that they still hold anyway. So to, yeah, I mean, they, 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 they issue shares that are worth a, a penny, and the shares become worth twenty, and they have share equity, and that gives them money to buy players. And I mean, but it's it's basically them just giving money to the club. But they're the UAE government, essentially. Yeah. I mean, it's like what the what the Fed does with U.S. Treasury, no, right? I mean, like you print yeah. the money, you buy you buy the debt. Nobody like, else, <laughs> nobody else, not not uh, not K, not FSG, not not KSE, not BBD, not you know, not not Belbid DeVoe, East Coast Family. None of those. <laughs> sorry. Uh, anytime an owner has essentially said, "Okay, we're going to spend extra money on trying to get this team," you know, and, and it's called owner financing called owner financing for a reason um and you know liverpool's losses which they now have for a couple years in a row chelsea's going way back um those all done through loans either to an external source or to the owner themselves they're they're sweetheart loans that don't have to get paid back because the owner would rather see success on the pitch than pay a bunch of interest unless you're the Glazers at Manchester United, where they pay tons of interest every year on the loans that they use to buy the club and then take 20 to 40 million pounds out in dividends every year. You want to complain about an ownership group, my God, Manchester yeah, United. Yeah, the, the only reason they don't crater is because their revenue is just so obscene. Yeah, um, I mean, they're, they're making five, they're, they're making uh, in, in commercial revenue what most teams make in total turnover, two, you know, 250, 300 million in just commercial revenue. And, yeah. and that literally keeps them afloat. Um, here's the point, though, and I think this is the lead. Forget the pandemic. Arsenal have lost money three years in a row for a combined yeah. 213 million pound loss each year worse than the one before, following 16 consecutive profitable seasons, during which they had a 393 million surplus. The 2021 127 million loss is actually the fifth highest ever in the Premier League. And it makes you wonder why they kind of they, they kind of enjoyed Arsene Wenger's fourth place, you know, fourth place finishes. Yeah, all of a sudden you can understand. But here, here's the point. I can understand KSE finding extraordinary ways to help finance the club following the pandemic. I think we can all be sure that if Arsenal continue to turn these kind of losses season upon season upon season, that it will eventually have repercussions for the way we spend on players for the way we our wage bill looks. I mean, we are going to that. cut tens of millions of pounds off the wage bill this summer. The presumption is that can then be reinvested into strengthening. And I believe we will do it, by the way. But let me I give you a projection, it, Elliot. Mm-hmm. Let, let me give you a projection on, on what next year, what I think next year's numbers are going to look like because ultimately they're almost all baked in at this point. The, the next financial report that comes out next May will be for the year that ends three months from now. So it's this season where we were out of Europe, mm-hmm. where yep. stadium, where, where where stadiums were full, where you know we had some drop in uh, in payroll. I'm predicting that la- that next year our total losses b- before tax are going to be about 30 million, uh, as com- as compared to 130 million last year. Uh, last year's one 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 twenty seven, and then the tax credit for that brought it down to one oh seven. I think next year is going to be 30, and that's with no Europe at all, not even the Europa League. And so it seems logical to say that if this season we get into the Europa League, or certainly if we get into the Champions League, that the 2023 numbers that reflect next season's revenues are going to be profitable again. And the only way they wouldn't be is if we had a massive amount of spending on new players and didn't sell any of our existing players. 
Yeah, and I mean, truthfully, with Aubameyang's wages coming off and Williams' wages coming off and Lacazette's wages coming off and Colasinac's wages coming off, like, even if you replace and spend a lot, you you may find a situation where your wage bill still manages to go down a bit. Look, if you want to, and that's not going to be next year's report. That's going to be the following years that all those players go off. But just right. even from the Ozil, uh, you know, from the Ozil <laughs> savings and the general reduction in in what, the number five million a year. <laughs> so, yeah. look, my, my point is this: I, I think. If you want to avoid doing things like accepting 80 million pound bids for Bukayo Saka, and if you want to avoid doing things like buying diamond in the rough strikers instead of proven star strikers to finish out your project, you know, get into Europe, find ways to profitability because we have an owner who, while I think we have to be at least appreciative of the way we've been funded through this hardship, there is no track record of this ownership group funding losses at other clubs. And I I suspect that there will be a a point at which they will not do that. So we would we would be better served getting back into the Champions League, finding a way to profitability, and getting our our business model back to what KSE prefers it to be. Not because I care about them making money, but because I think it prevents us from having to make uncomfortable decisions that yeah. aren't based on success on the pitch, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, think about all the players we quote unquote had to get rid of because of the stadium debt. And, you know, and that was when we were making Champions League money. Yep. It was one one a year, year after year. And we don't want that to be the case anymore. Yep. Um, and, and so I think you're right. But I also think that uh, things are looking much brighter on that front. And I think the team now knows if there's anything that came out of the Rams situation uh, and most of the things that people think came out of that didn't, but if there's anything that came out of that. They actually know what it's like to win something now. Um, they never have before. And so yep. perhaps there's uh they caught the fever. They, you know, they, <laughs> hopefully they caught the fever. I don't mean that. You yeah. know, I don't think that that's going to cause them to go get Holland and Mbappe, but um, yeah, well, I think the financial. Then, then, then we around. repay it again. Then we protest again. So that's but it. then exactly, and 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 yeah. Apparently, we're not in the ESL anymore. Uh, so so that's good. But we. Uh, but yeah, the things are. I, I think things are going to turn around, and the biggest driver of that now is going to be our 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 finish and, and our Europe. And you know, top four is really really important this year, um, but even more so important next year. So yep. yeah, that's. Okay. That's, that's it in a 40-minute nutshell. Jesus. Well, that was well handled. For the people that stuck around, I hope you enjoyed it. And for the people who didn't, you can't hear me saying this. Well, screw you. I'm kidding. <laughs> you wouldn't. I mean, it's not like you would know. Um, Mike's on Twitter at uh, the Gooners Pod. You should listen to the Gooners Pod. But I think he would, wouldn't mind me saying even more importantly, uh, yeah. get involved with GoonersVCancer.com. Mike, thanks so much. Thank you, Elliot. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, obviously, we've got another big game this weekend. Watford will have an instant reaction for patrons after that. We may have something between now and then because it seems like the content machine always spits out something. So we'll see what lands on our plate. But until then, thank you for being here. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Watford. Nope. <laughs>